zero chords. All right. Well, Parshas Vayikra, we start the third book in the Torah. This is exciting um, because uh, we're getting close to Pesach and I have a lot to be thankful for. Anyone who hears this out on the podcast or wherever you end up hearing it, because I got my second dose of the uh, vaccine today. Uh, and so far, I have no reaction to it. So really thankful for that and thankful for everyone, family and friends that uh, are in good health. And we're having a little bit of a uh, spike here in our neighborhood. Uh, so hope everyone stays safe and safe and, and feels well emotionally and as of course physically. Okay, so this is a, people find the book of Vayikra, the book of Leviticus. It's it, the first half we feel a little bit removed from because it's things that took place in when you have a temple and we don't have a temple now. And, you know, one of the prayers that we say a lot at the Seder is about what we're going to do when the temple comes. Certainly we feel that loss um, by, because uh, there's, no, there's no Paschal Lamb. There's all these kind of things. So, so the first half of the book of Leviticus really revolves around things that are uh, take place there. But there's a lot of lessons, as always, which really are very, extremely relevant um, for today. So I wanted to start with the very beginning of the Parsha, it says, um, it says uh, in chapter one, verse two, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any Adam, usually we're first to a human being, it uses the word ish or isha. Here it refers to a human in the term that we had from on the beginning of time, Adam, Adam. It's what says, when an Adam of you offers an offering. So Rashi points out from the Midrash that it's it's interesting. At this point in the Torah, when we refer to human beings, we don't usually refer to the way they were referred to thousands of years earlier. And he brings down the uh, the Midrash from Vayikra Rabbah, a, uh, a very practical lesson. This verse is talking about a person who is setting aside an animal to be brought, to be used in the temple. And what the, the Puzzlech is telling, the verse is saying, is that when Adam was created, there was no such thing as stealing. God told him the whole world is yours to use in a productive way and to guard it, all those good messages. But it, there was no such thing as stealing at the very beginning of the world. And the puzzle is saying that, that you should not think, well, you know, I am going to take something and use it for a higher purpose. So I'm gonna go take an animal for the temple. Maybe I can use, uh, steal, or maybe I can take someone's animal without permission. And the lesson from the very beginning of this verse says that we, as we learned many, many times, the ends never justify the means. And this is a very far-reaching principle. Countless stories with um, 
really many people, but uh, there's a lot of them recorded about Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, who lived in the 1800s, who was famous for starting the Musar movement, the focus, extra focus on character development. And he was a big, big rabbi, lots of Torah, lots of religious stuff, but he's main, he was famous for his teachings of making sure that people are consistent through and through. This is something which I think is becoming more popular today, but he really made it popular a long time ago that, for example, he saw someone run into a synagogue once and he stepped on someone's shoe carelessly. And he said to the person after davening, you know, you you, you uh, cut off girls. You, what are you doing? You're running into shoal carelessly and you stepped on someone's foot. So, so you got to pray a little more. That That's not what God wants. There's another story with him. And another story with Rabbi Yisrael Salanter that he was in an in inn. Now today, when we want water, what do we do? Just turn it on. But in the old inns, in the 1800s, when Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was there, he knew that every cup of water that was used, someone had to go and schlep it. And yes, they were getting paid for it, but yes, they were going to have to schlep it. Now, there's different opinions about how much you have to wash your hands when you wake up in the morning and when you eat bread. And usually he was someone who was particularly meticulous to use a lot of water. And one of his students noticed when he was in this inn, he would use the minimum amount of water. And the student asked him, I don't understand. You're always so meticulous to fulfill all the opinions about using the water. And he said, yeah, but do you know how far the water schlepper is going to have to get the water to come here. When a person wants to do good things, you always have to have a big scope to see, is this something that's really a good thing? And very often, something that if, we, if we're not paying attention to all the details, I'll tell you another story of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. He one time went visiting a town and went to a uh, prized uh, disciple of his, he invited him for Shabbos, he went to his house for Shabbos, and uh, the uh, Rabbi Yisrael said to his student, I will eat at your house on the Friday night meal on one condition, that it not be a long meal. The, the student said, you know, usually we have a very long meal. We sing lots of Shabbos songs and we talk lots of Torah. And he said, look, this is my condition. It doesn't have to be Indy 500 but it will have to be shorter than usual. So to have the meal, the student's a little bit befuddled here. He was gonna showcase his wonderful Shabbat meal to his teacher and he's a little bit frustrated. After the meal, uh, the student says, Rabbi, you know, I really, I'm honored you came, but I'm a little bit confused. Why, you, you, there's something about my Shabbat meal you don't like? He said, come with me for a second. Goes to the kitchen. There was a woman there who which was a, a rich man who had a, 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 a person who did all the serving. It happened to be a widow. And he goes into the, the kitchen. He says, say her name was Mrs. Schwartz. Thank you so much, Mr. Schwartz. I'm sorry that um, we kind of moved things along a little fast tonight. And the woman says, no, Rabbi, this was fantastic. You know, I work hard the whole week. 
And then on Friday night, I literally, I, I barely keep my eyes open and the meals here go very late. And I really appreciate the fact that this was so much faster. On the way out, the student turned to the rabbi. The rabbi said, that's what I'm talking about. When we do good things, we always have to look big picture. And there's countless um, other stories like this and things that we can think of in our own lives, things that we notice that we have a good idea, you got to make sure it's truly a good idea. And that's what we learned from the fact that the, uh, the animals that were being brought to be used in the temple, they had to be as squeaky clean of stealing as the animals in the time of Adam, where there was no such concept of stealing. All right, let's move along. So we're going to talk a lot about the details of all of the, for lack of a better word, sacrifices, offerings, in Hebrew called karban or karbanot. And what is this? See, in our day and age, this seems very primitive. You know, what, if, if, what is it? How, what is it? And most of it is really beyond our grasp. A lot of it is in the spiritual realm. But just to know what, what is it that we're talking about? Because the, the, the problem is, is that both of the common translations, as this is why it's so helpful to at least have transliterations or to have a grasp of Hebrew um, as much as you could, because all, there's some words in Hebrew that just can't be translated. And, and a carbon is one of them, and I'll show you. Let's take the translation of sacrifice. Sacrifice usually connotes that it's something that I have to give up something to get something else. It's not really what's happening when animals are being brought into the temple. The other common translation is offering. An offering connotes some sort of like the person I'm giving to needs it, which clearly with God is not the case. So the famous German rabbi um, from the 1800s, Reb Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, famous, famous rabbi, very erudite, world-class scholar, world-class secular scholar as well. He said, he explained that the, let me make sure I'm in the right place here. Yeah, he explained that the word carbon come from close. The word carbon comes from the word close, mikarev, uh, to, to bring close. And that's where Rabbi Hirsch says, that's what a carbon is, the purpose of a carbon. And how it does that, you could study it more in the depth and try to understand it in the esoteric realm. But the purpose of a carbon is to bring a human being and bring humankind at large close to Hashem. It's a way of, of people bonding. And that is the purpose of a carbon. Now we find, says Rabbi Hirsch, that the carbon also brought about happiness. And how does it do that? Because the truth is that the closer one feels to God, the happier they are. In fact, most of the problems that we have are sometimes almost, they even turn into opportunities 
uh, or they just slip away. For example, um, if someone is dead focused on having a lot of money, when you get close to God and you feel close to him, it just doesn't become a concern anymore. It's like, let's say you're staying at Bill Gates's house and he says, you can stay here as long as you want and use my credit card. You don't worry about money, right? Once you, we, there's so many problems and stress that we have when a person develops that bond with God. In fact, I remember I was on my trip, my, one of my, I think three trips ago. When I was in Israel, we went, I was at the uh, tomb of the Ark of, of the patriarchs and matriarchs in Hebron. And the, one of the other rabbis that was staffing the trip with me, you know, it was a very holy place. We were actually um, praying at the, uh, we, the, the spot that was available was by Isaac, Yitzchak. And he, when he was giving a pep talk to the crowd, he said that we should pray to God that we should have the geula, the ultimate redemption when we have clarity in the world. And he says, why? Why is that such a good thing to, to, to ask for? Because when we have that closeness to Hashem, everything takes care of. Health issues are dealt with, emotional issues, financial issues, everything gets dealt with when a person has that bond um, with God. Suffering can become something that's exalted. I'll give it, so it's actually very becoming very popular, I believe, in, in, um, in medicine and in emotional health medicine that instead of dealing with something head on, you deal with the bigger issue. A lot of times you can deal with a, a, a micro issue, but really there's a macro problem. I'll give you an example. One of my uh, main teachers, when I was in yeshiva in Providence, and his method, and I think this is why many students do so well under him, Rabbi Lipson, is that he doesn't really confront his students with things he thinks they need to grow in. He deals with, with the macro issues and then the micro issues get taken care of and without the, any confrontation. I remember over the course of a few years, I had a, I, I had a big transformation to go even better from wonderful uh, things I learned in my house and in all the yeshiva that I went to. But in Providence, I would say things went up a very big level within a few years and not, none of the teachers there, it all was... With, with a general environment, a general environment that dealt with things, not dealing with things head on. And uh, that's something, that's what a carbon does. A carbon, it's something which bonds us with Hashem. When you bond with Hashem, issues just fall to the wayside. We're gonna take a look at one of the, uh, one of the sacrifices, really interesting. Again, you know, my, my, with my family being in uh, quarantine this week, uh, thank God we're all fine and just about out of quarantine. Please, God. <laughs> um, it's my daughter's 10th day, I think, from when she had symptoms. So technically, I think we're out already, but we're trying to be on the safe side. But I've had limited books to use because thank God I have a lot of books in my house, but not my regular books that I, I use and even with the internet, there's a lot of books that are not online. Uh, so a little bit uh, limited in what I was using this week. So it's interesting. Reb Shamshin Fall Hirsch, not someone I usually quote, but a great rabbi. 
Uh, he says, is a lesson we can learn from the different types, and this even helps the people, you know, from the animal rights movements and the vegans. There were a lot of sacrifices in the temple that were flour, and there were many different types of flowers. And Abshamshan Rafal Hirsch has an interesting observation. He points out there were three basic type of flower. I don't want to use offerings because I said the word offering is not good, but I'm going to say offerings. And he says there was flour baked in an oven. These old ovens, and then even today, it sounds like a griddle. You put the ingredients directly on the oven. Then, you got my second vaccine today, so I'm trying to say, to say extra hydrated, and then hopefully you avoid any whiplash. I've been drinking a lot. So one type of, of sacrifice is baked in an oven. Another one is baked in a pan. The third one is baked in a pot. Says Rabshamshanafal Hirsch, these three types of, um, of, uh, of offerings, they're representative of different things that we have physically. Bread, which is, we're going to say that is the type that's baked directly in the oven, that represents our basic needs. A cake is like the extras, and the pot represents like meal items. You know, you bake things in a pot, right? So Shashner Falhurst says that the reason, that the purpose of having all these different type of flour things, which really cost the same amount of money, is that we have, those are, sometimes there are people who are good at noticing and appreciating the things that are you absolutely need. There are people, and the people who are better at giving that, and people like they're really good at making sure you have everything you need. You're never not gonna have a sign you need when you go to that person. And some people are really good at doing the extras. They're not so good at the needs, they're good at the extras. They'll make sure you have candy, they're not gonna make sure that you have bread. And then there's the kind of people who will make sure that you have your protein. You want to you, you go you go there you go to their house. You'll always have a barbecue. You might not have bread. You might not have candy. So when it comes to God, we have to notice in our life the things that are the proteins of life, things that are the bread of life, and things that are the candy because they're all equally important in their own special way. You know, just ask anyone who. Uh, had Corona who lost their sense of taste and then got it back. You say, oh yeah, what do I need anything fancy for? You know, people who are stuck in concentration camps, not that we can compare anything to that, but people who just got food and just did, you know, just enough to live, it's not fun. There's a reason why Hashem made so many things in this world sweet and fun because as human beings, that's what we need. But we do have to recognize that and appreciate that, that they're all important. And also when we're trying to help other people, some people, you know, they're very, you know, we got to make sure that we do all three. We offer people the things they need, the things more than they need, and the different types of things that they need. Let's focus a little more on the details. There's so many beautiful details here and all of them matter and, and, and they matter for us now.
So as a rule, you are not allowed, it was Pesach time in the temple all year round. There was very little chametz in the, in the temple. You were not allowed to use yeast. There were two exceptions to that. We'll talk about that later. As a rule, there was no, two of the main ingredients in baker, if any of you are a baker, is, is no yeast and no honey. But every sacrifice had to have salt. So yes, salt, and no honey or yeast. Who says this? Rabbi Gifter. The Mordechai Gifter of Tells, Blessed Memory, Cleveland. He has a very a profound observation here. He says, what is the difference between yeast and honey and salt? Yeast and honey are external things that create a reaction in the food that's there. Honey will sweeten something that was not sweet before. Yeast will cause something to rise that was flat before. Salt is only as good as what's already there. Salt will accentuate what's there. You can have this fantastic soup, this fantastic cholent, and it needs a little bit of salt. The salt kind of takes what's there and makes it more productive. Says Rav Gifter, in the base of Mikdash, we were real in the temple. There was an extreme focus on being real. We don't want to inflate things for more than they are with yeast. And it's kind of the, one of the main messages of Pesach. We don't want to take honey and, and it's like, you know, you make something that it's not. You take something bitter and put honey on it. You haven't made the nut not bitter. The nut is still bitter. You just put some honey on top. So in the temple, the message which Hashem wanted us to feel and be reminded of us when we go to the temple is, is to be real. Not, no faking, no, no inflating, no sugar coating. But salt was important for every sacrifice. Why? Because salt takes who you are and works on it and, and, and makes it better. And that is our job in this world to take who we are and what we have and make the best of it and to thrive on it. And that's the message of the soul. Now there's two exceptions, twice a year or two situations when chametz, when leaven, when yeast was allowed. Once, it happens all the time, but it's one scenario is when a person would bring the toda, the Thanksgiving offering. The other time was on Shavuot. The, the two special breads that they brought on the holiday of Shavuot when we got the Torah, was the, those are the two scenarios when chametz, yeast, is allowed in the temple. So there's obviously something unique about it. And I was thinking that what's unique about it is that, yes, in general, we want salt. Salt is something that you take what's there and you make the best of it. But when it comes to thanking people, and when it comes to Torah, don't you're not limited to what it seems who like who you are. You might think I'm not the kind of person who's good at showing appreciation. Hashem says, don't worry about it. 
if you're trying to be appreciative and you're trying to study Torah, you can do more than who you are. You can even be more than who you are. And, and, and don't worry about it. You'll do, you just act, act more than you are. That's one of the, one of the lessons we have from ethics of the fathers. It says, be bold like a leopard. We mentioned this last year when we were learning Prikayavos, ethics of the fathers, that why does it say be bold like a leopard? Why not strong like a tiger, ferocious like a lion? Because a leopard is the smallest of all the big cats, but it acts like the rest of them. So that's when it comes to certain things, it's okay to act more than you are. It's okay to be a little bit of a sincere faker when it comes to being appreciative to people, even if you don't really feel so appreciative or to learn Torah and involve in Torah, even if that's not so who you are, that's okay. That, that's when it's okay to have a little bit of chametz and a little bit of honey inside. Okay. So in, in the list of sacrifices that we have, offerings, for lack of better translation, it talks about there's certain offerings that were given by certain key individuals. There were, there were sacrifices given by the prince, by the high priests, by the head of the courts, and especially if they made a mistake. So the verse says, when it comes to the king, the prince really, it says, Asher nasi When the king, the prince, commits a sin. Rashi points out here, it's very unique. It kind of it doesn't really fit very well grammatically. That the verse starts off with the word if. It's not a good word. Uh, some sentence gets off that way, but certainly this sense would not. And he says, therefore, the word asher, which means that or if. Here mean comes from the word ashray. We know the prayer ashray. Well, ashray means praiseworthy. And says Rashi, what's the verse saying? Beautiful thing. I think this is from the, the, the book Maskala David. Praiseworthy is the generation that has a king or a prince that admits when they do a sin. Right? What's so praiseworthy about that? Well, why doesn't it say that about the high priest who admits? Okay, we see it's good when a, when anyone admits they do a sin. But what's so unique about when the the prince admits? Says the Sefer Moscow of David, a king is very powerful. A king is it. If you can have a king that is so humble that they can admit when they're wrong, and not only admit when they're wrong, everyone's going to know it because they have to bring a special uh, offering in the temple. That is a truly fortunate people who have such a humble leader. We know how many problems happen in the medical world and the political world and every part of the world. If you have people in charge who aren't willing to admit when they made a mistake and recalibrate. We all know how much trouble we've gotten in for not being able to, you know, hemorrhage, you know, stop a problem when it's when it started. And in, in the Sefer Moscow, David says on the contrary, a person should feel a, an immense pleasure when they have the courage to be able to admit that something 
uh, was done wrong or is being done wrong. And that's why the verse says, Ashrei, how praiseworthy is a nation if they have a leader that admits to doing things that are incorrect. It says there was, there was goats and there was sheep and there was cows and there was birds and there was oil and there was wine and there was flour and there was wine, all types of things. It says in the Talmud in Sota that the, um, one second. It says when a person, the verse says, when a person brings a female child goat, the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. So the Talmud says, why does it say he shall be forgiven, not forgiven for his sins? So, so the Nitziv, Rav Tzvi Hur Berlin points out that many of the lamb, many of the sacrifices, when you brought them, you knew why you were brought, bringing it. The people around didn't necessarily know because there were some animals that could be brought for different things. If a person brought a female child goat, that was only brought for sinning, which means it was embarrassing. The Talmud says when a person is embarrassed, it atones for all their sins. Not that we ever ask to be embarrassed and not that we should ever on purpose get embarrassed or not that we should ever even inflict it on anyone to be embarrassed. But if embarrassing situations happen, a person, it, 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 it purifies you because it rips away your ego. And our ego is what gets in the way of, of a lot of things. So there's a difference between embarrassment and guilt. When is guilt or embarrassment a bad thing? When you feel it shouldn't be happening. That's when it's not so positive. When is embarrassment a good thing? Embarrassment is a good thing when I know I brought this on myself. I did something wrong and I'm embarrassed. That is a very good thing because that means that you have positive values. We all know how appalling it is sometimes when you see an adult or someone who should know better who's not embarrassed of walking around in an inappropriate way or saying inappropriate things. If we do something inappropriate and we feel guilty or feel embarrassed because we know we didn't live up to our values, that's actually something to feel good about because you can say, you know what? I shouldn't have done that, but I know I got a good moral compass. And that is something that we learned from here that being embarrassed when you know you did something wrong is actually a certain bittersweet pleasure that you should have. Okay, it bothers me. At least I know, I know, I, I know it should bother me. You know, if something stops bothering you, then you're in big trouble, right? Person, let's say, has a problem getting angry or a problem being generous, or there's all kinds of character things we have to work on. As long as it bothers you, that's half the battle. When you, something stops, if it's something stops bothering you from getting, when a person loses their temper and they stops bothering them, then you really have what to worry about. And that's the lesson from the Torah that being embarrassed or feeling guilty is not something to be scared of. It's actually really important. It says in the Talmud, it's one of the three salient features of being Jewish that a person is a, we are Baishan because we have. In our DNA, we have a strong moral compass. And if that gets deteriorated, then that, then we're ripping apart our DNA. So it's an important, 
is not a bad thing to 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 have. Sometimes people say, "Oh, I'm not embarrassed of anybody." No, it's a it's a good thing to have a certain amount of healthy embarrassment. Obviously, not to be embarrassed about something there's no need to be embarrassed about. But healthy embarrassment is a good thing. So the the, the parsha talks about there's certain sacrifices, offerings that dependent on your financial situation, what you brought. If you had enough, you how much money you had to spend. And the Torah basically leaves it up to the person. When you went to the temple, they didn't had no way of doing a, a credit check on you. But if, if you had enough money, you're supposed to spend more. If you had less money, you're supposed to spend less money. And the Chavetz Chaim says this is not limited to, it certainly extends to charity today. If a person has more money, should give more money. If a person has less, so I've had this sometimes. I'll go to some ask them, and they'll say, Rabbi, is this enough? So at this point, when I, when I was when I first started, I probably would always say, sure, sure, whatever you do is great. Now, I still appreciate things, and I, I always appreciate um, uh, whatever happens. But if someone asks me and I feel uncomfortable enough with them, I'll say, well, you're the only one who can answer that. Don't ask me. If you can afford $10,000 and you like what we're doing, then you should give $10,000, right? So uh, so we're the only people who can answer that question. And the truth is, we all do this. Because the Chavetz Chaim says it's not limited to charity with money. It's limited to our assets, our time, our talents. And often we look to other people to decide how much we can handle, how much we can give of our talents, time, and, and resources. And to God, to others, and to ourselves, but really the one who's responsible for that and the only person who really knows is us, right? We know how smart we are. We know how much patience we have. We know how much bandwidth we have. So if I look around, I'm like, look, hey, you know, I see everyone over there, you know, that's what they do. But if I know I ha I'm a more patient person and I, I, I need to do more, right? If I know I'm more generous than someone else, with my time or my resources or whatever it might be, then I have to. And that's the lesson the Chavetz Chaim says. We learn from this sacrifice that it's we. God leaves it up to us. Only we really know. Oh, and no one, no one else really knows. And, and Hashem give us gives us a gift. I heard this on a talk that real te technical prophecy has been gone for thousands of years, but today we have something really tantamount to prophecy. we all still have prophetic knowledge of ourselves. If we're interested in the truth and we're interested in doing the right thing, we can know the truth about ourselves. We don't need to go to a psychologist. Don't have to go to crystal ball. You don't have to go to gay rabbi or Robinson. You can actually know the truth about yourself. And that is probably the biggest gifts that a person knows that person can travel the whole world literally or online or wherever they're doing but the truth truth the person can know the truth about themselves lastly before we do a quick review so rabbi Dessler, great uh, philosophical uh, 
author from 50 years ago, he points out that there's a number of offerings that are for a person who did a something wrong by mistake. And the Bidesla discusses if it was a mistake, if and it really was an honest mistake, why are we making a, bringing an offering for it? What, what's, what's so bad? Mistakes happen. So Bidesler explains that really, now again, a person, we're human, we make mistakes, we have to get depressed, you know, to get neurotic, that's always true. But when we make a mistake, it usually says something about how important that thing is to us at the moment. Because certain things we never forget. We never forget our name. We don't forget things that are really important to us. We tend to forget the things that are not as important to us. And that's why in relationships, we never should take anything personally, but we tend to take things personally that we think the, should be so important to the other person, they would never forget. If they really love me, they would never forget my birthday. They would never forget my favorite this. They would never forget that, right? Obviously, we know people forget everything. But the lesson for ourselves is that if we can forget something, that means to, to some degree, it's, it's not as important in our eyes as it should be. The famous story, Saul went to one of the great uh, Gerer uh, Hasidish Rebbe's, the Chadushi Haram thing was the first one maybe. And they said he was, he was lamenting to his, to his uh, rabbi, I study so much Torah, and I keep forgetting it. The rabbi sized the man up, and he felt that he really probably could do a better job by remembering it. So he said, you know, do you remember to eat every day? And he said, of course, remember to eat every day. He's like, why do you remember to eat? He's like, because I know I got to eat. He's like, well, you got to know Torah too. So if you, and they said that a lot of stories of the very great rabbis, they asked them, how did they remember everything? And he said, because it was just so important to me. I didn't want to forget it. So a quick review over here. We talked about the idea that you, the same way you can't steal a sacrifice and bring it, that teaches us the idea of the ends don't justify the means. You have a good idea, make sure it's good on all fronts. We talked about the idea of a sacrifice is a carbon, the karo, becoming close to God. When a person comes close to God, all problems become easier, they go away. We talked about the different types of flowers. You have the pan, the pot, and the oven. You have the bread of life, the cake of life, the protein of life. They're all necessary. We have to appreciate them. And we got to give them. We talked about how in the temple there was no honey and no yeast, no sugar coating, no inflating things. Be real. Who, who you are and what you really have. But when it comes to thinking in Torah, you can go beyond your physical limitations. You saw how praiseworthy it is to have a leader who's willing to own up to mistakes and we're on our own leader. So nothing wrong is actually a very certain type of pleasure that you can have when you admit it to something. You can really uh, feel a tremendous pleasure. We talked about from the Talmud, it talks about the healthy type of embarrassment. If you feel embarrassed about something, you feel guilty about something to a degree, as long as it doesn't become you know, make you handicapped, it's a healthy thing. If you're not embarrassed about doing something, 
and that shows a lack of moral compass. We talked about from the Chavetz Chaim, how we know what our assets, our talents, and ability to do things are. And everyone's different. Don't judge what you should be. You can get it. It's, it's helpful to look at other people, to see perhaps ideas of what a person could be doing. But certainly a person shouldn't make that the exclusive decisor of what you're going to do and not going to do. Because very often, and for sure, there's things that you are better at than other people. There's things that you are worse at than other people. And if other people are able to do something, maybe you can't do that. And, and that it goes in both directions. You, can't, you can get ideas from other people, but bottom line is you know yourself. And you, I shouldn't say you know yourself. You have the ability to know yourself. Because if we all knew ourselves, it would be a lot different. We have the ability to know ourselves and, and if we're actually looking for it. I'll give you a story that from the Chemda Shlomo. So the Chemda Shlomo didn't have a lot of money. And he was always um, giving away his money. And so I said to him, Rabbi, you're poor yourself. Why are you giving away money? And he said, you know what, you're right. But there's a difference between me and the other poor people. I have a very, I'm a famous guy. If I ever don't have money, people will lend to me. I'll, I can easily get credit. So even though I'm just as poor as the next guy, but he won't be able to get the credit that I have. So even though we're the same, but we're not the same. And lastly, we talked about that if a person makes a mistake, you have to recognize to some degree there's probably something a little uh, lacking in, in the importance that you're giving to that thing. So if we notice there's something that we forget to do, yes, we can have a healthy amount of moving on and say, look, you know, people forget things. And that's true. But, you know, we know how it is in a relationship. If someone keeps forgetting the same thing, then it shows you that they're not uh, taking things so importantly. So we got a week or so to Pesach here. I have a feeling, unless I do it on a different night, probably not next Thursday night going to have a class uh, game before Pesach. Maybe I'll do it early in the week, but I really have no idea what the next, I don't even know what tomorrow brings me. I'm hoping hoping to be out of quarantine tomorrow. Everyone can pray uh, for everybody, and hopefully we get, we, our, our, we get good test results and everyone's feeling good. And uh, good Shabbos, Mrs. Weissman. And Ruby, we say good Shabbos already. Hi to Delaware. And Thank you. And same to you.